Hello, David. Yeah, hello, Graham. I've got uh, got a joke for you. A joke? Yeah, it's like a... I don't know why I'm surprised. We okay. do that every week. All right. Uh, what do you call flying cheese? <sighs> Is it something to do with cheese whiz? A Pegasus. A Pegasus. <laughs> Okay. So is this cheese in the shape of a flying horse with holes in it? Yeah, you're, it's getting too complicated. Uh, four. I'll give you a four on that one. Oh, thank you. Pegaswiss just was an interesting image, if nothing else. I have to tell you, I didn't make this joke up. This is from Eliana. Good job, Eliana. That's a great image. A flying horse, cheese horse with holes. That's a great image. You know how, how this, this joke is so much better than the jokes we told last week. <laughs> I'm excited to see what you brought to the table. Uh, earlier today, actually, my kids were like, your jokes last week were terrible. Well, so they speak the truth. They do. They speak the truth. Okay. What is a ghost's favorite item of clothing? Sheet. Boots. Wow. Okay. That, okay. I like this joke. It's a good joke. I don't know if it's as good as Eliana's joke, though. That'd be fair. 3.9. 3.9. I accept that. I think that we should give Eliana... Uh, actually, I have an idea. Okay. Why don't you give me an 8, and then I give her an 8.5? Your joke gets an 8. Your joke gets an 8.5. But you know what? Enough of the nonsense. Let's get on with the nonsense. Welcome back to Withy Windle, a whimsical interactive show for kids who love stories, words, and groan-worthy jokes, featuring your favorite authors and illustrators. It's part book club, part game show, and it's your weekly adventure through the wild world of wordplay. Ah, we pulled that off. Your name's David Kern. And your name's Graham Pittman. <laughs> and I'm not confused at all. <laughs> we are here on the fourth, oh wait, it works that way, fourth episode of yes. the threeth season of Withy Windle. Do you think we did that three-fourth joke because of the TH in Withy Wendell, or do you think it was subconscious? I think it was so long ago, I'm never going to know the That's answer. That's true. I don't remember at all. I'm sure some wise, sleuth. industrious sleuth, there's another TH, sleuthful child, sleuthing child who's listening, will be able to get to the bottom of it. But for now, we will never know. We're here to discuss the Phantom Toll Booth. There's another TH, Toll Booth. We're also here to conversate, chat. Uh, discuss yes discuss life and important things with a really wonderful author his name is Daniel Nairi and he has a new book out do you remember what that book is called that book is called everything sad is untrue parentheses a true story mm. it's a, it's a great book it's a great conversation we had a great time chatting with him and you're going to get to hear that in just a minute of course we are going to talk about the phantom toll booth as I said at the end of the show we're going to give you the answer to last week's riddle Graham's going to give you a new riddle got a new one and you know, all the nonsense in between. First, however, snack time. Snack time. What are we snacking? Oh, Graham, we have a box to open. We don't even know what we're snacking on yet. This is good because I didn't bring anything this time except one ice cube, and I was just going to crack my teeth on it. <laughs> so this is good news. You let it be a lesson to you. Don't just chew on ice. You know, somebody came into my bookstore the other day and was telling me how growing up they didn't have air conditioning. Mm-hmm. So instead, their mom would give them ice to chew on, and now their teeth are falling apart. True story. All of that was exactly what this person said to me. But was it worth it? Uh, probably. They were very. I mean, Did they have a very this is, cool childhood? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, you know what? I bet somebody, whoever invented AC, 
was probably somebody who had bad teeth because they were chewing ice and they got yeah. to be an adult and they said, enough of this bad teeth nonsense. Yeah, I'm going to take Freon and do whatever they do with Freon. <laughs> we'll make a big machine to heat up mansions <laughs> and get rich. <laughs> uh, Not to heat them up, to cool, cool them, down. them down. Yeah, to, to, to cool down heated up mansions. Yes, that's it. Okay, so we have a card here. This is from our friends, the Crofts, Maddie, Matthew, and Haley Croft. It says, congratulations on season three. Enjoy the snacks. So I'm going to assume there's snacks in that box. So this is a preemptive congratulations. <laughs> That's right. They're hoping season, they're expecting season three to go well. Well, I guess they know that it's already started. So oh, yeah, congratulations okay. on starting, starting season, season three. Yeah. You, you made it. <laughs> you made it to the beginning. All right. So, okay. We've got to move some things here. We've got a box. And how did, how did they know where to send this box? Is there a way people can send well, us pigeon. snacks? Pigeon. Oh, they did the pigeon. The old Okay, pigeon. we're opening the box here. Oh, yep. All three, right. And three other pigeons just flew out of it, too. That's weird. <laughs> okay. Uh, Ooh, okay. You draw something out first. Well, looks I'm like going right like for the this. Same. There's four of these. Butter snob baking. I I've, believe that would be... Um, that, that would be the name of Butter the company. Snob, that's the name of the company. It's an Alabama bakery company. They just got some free advertising. This is what you would call a large sandwich cookie. It's a large, right? it's got, it's chocolate or ginger snap or something on the outside. And then it's got some kind of, uh, some, some sort cream. of cream. Do you think maybe it's from a uh, jar of icing? Well, not my jar of icing. <laughs> they found all, their own jar. It's all gone. <laughs> yeah. Just last night, we were talking about how one of your kids, perhaps Gerald, for example, should go should go for Halloween as a jar of icing. So what I want to know is how many kids next year are going to go for Halloween as jar of icing? Probably no one. Probably no one. Because you didn't even manage to convince our kids. I know. He was like, well, that sounds terrible. Okay. You know what is not terrible? This cookie. This cookie. Mm-hmm. This is delicious. It well, tastes like ginger to me, but... My palate is shot from this all this ice. <laughs> I'm like my mouth is cold and <laughs> Okay, let's oh, wait, we're gonna wait, have to no, take no, a break I'm, and eat these. No, I don't think it's ginger. It's got a kind of it does kind of have some gingerbread vibe to it though, don't you think? I don't know. But I'll, I'll, after we eat three okay. or four let's, six of these, I'll know. There's two of these. No, there's four of these. Mm-hmm. Okay. Then we also have I'm gonna pull this out. Sweet Ruby's cheddar cheese straws. Okay, it's like fancy Cheetos. They're trying to class us up. It's got. It says. It says right here, Peg, Pegasus. Pegasus. Oh yeah, right on that label. <laughs> yeah. Oh. I, right, what I, do you got there? I see another box inside this box. A box in a box. A box in a box. A smaller box. It looks like it's also from Butter Snob Bakery. Ooh, yes. These. I don't think macaroon type they things. Are macaroons? But there's two little packages of three. So there's six total macaroons. Okay. Looks like there's a variety of flavors. We're going to have to just uh, eat these during our break. Yeah, I and think the so. last thing we have here is spicy ranch crackers. Deliciously addictive. I don't so know. So they've given us spicy things, salty things, sweet things, and... Uh, it's like they know us. Maddie, Matthew, and Haley... Thank you, thank you, thank you very much. Um, this is going to be the, the a great snack time. We're going to need about an hour now to snack yeah. for a bit. So. I was going to say this might be enough snacks that we could even eat this next week, but I know that's not true. <laughs> well, no, we'll crush these. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get rid of these pretty quick. All right, so with right that. Right into our gullet. <laughs> is it into your gullet or down into your gullet? Well. Which part is the gullet? It, I, the gullet's in your, in your gut, right? Yeah, so through your mouth to your gullet. Or is the gullet the thing that takes it down to your gut? Well, it's ending up in the gullet or it's going through the gullet. However it happens. We're going to gullet these (laughs) right away. Let's take a break and we'll be back in a second having 
gulleted all these snacks. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, we are back from snack time. We have gulleted all kinds of snacks. I mean, I just want to point to say we didn't eat these while on the air. These spicy ranch crackers are delicious, but we can't just talk about snacks the whole episode. It's time for everyone's new favorite segment, Lazy Words. Sorry, I did a lot of work to say lazy words there. I actually liked that one. <laughs> Unlike the other ones. But uh, before we do that, uh, hey, David. <laughs> yeah? Do you know we have a new sponsor for this episode? Let me guess. It's <laughs> it's Pigeon Perkins for the restaurant for when your pigeon is tired along the road. <laughs> it is not. No, no. And I knew you were going to say, is this another fake ad read? It's quicksand bed <laughs> for, 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 when you're, for when you're trying to cross the quicksand pond and you're choosing a bed as well, your vehicle no, but when you're no when you're going no 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 think about quicksand you can't go into it you have to stay on top of it so you know how like on a pool you have a water like one of those floaties it's a quicksand floaty so oh. then you can kind of paddle across without sinking in that's pretty good but it's bed i mean it's if you say bed it's like it makes it sound comfortable i was thinking this is a bed you get into but never get out of because it's quicksand <laughs> bed no, no no it's a positive experience of quicksand it's like okay. how you overcome the quicksand although slowly sinking into quicksand might be a good way to fall asleep <laughs> oh is that a hint it's podcast nightlight the nightlight that plays alongside your podcast while you try to fall asleep at night <laughs> Yeah, you're good at these. You need to come up with a fake ad read. This is not a fake ad read. Oh, it's, a re it's actually a real one. Those were fake. <laughs> this okay. is real. This episode... Let me guess. It tells you if your leg's your leg. <sighs> oh, no, wait, you really mean it. I'm serious. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. This episode of the Withy Window Podcast is sponsored by Bandersnatch Books. Oh, I know them. You do know them? Yeah. I believe you. Because they are not that far from us. No, they're not. They are based right here in our beloved state of North Carolina. And we have a couple of books published by them in our bookshop. So, David. Yes. The king of the goblins was dead. What? Poisoned by a tainted royal quiche. A quiche? Like the egg dish? Yeah, it was tainted. The quiche was tainted. There is nothing worse than a tainted quiche. Not looked upon favorably by many in the kingdom... His reign ended one morning through a clever act of treachery carried out in the night. Witnesses to the poisoning of the quiche, there were none. Thus, not only were the usual suspects questioned, but also the unusual suspects. Who do you think the usual suspects, suspects were? <laughs> and in any community of goblins, all suspects are unusual to begin with. <laughs> I suppose that's true. <laughs> Bandersnatch Books presents Goblabet. A brand new alphabetical murder mystery with, you guessed it, goblins. Author Goblabet? <laughs> Goblabet. Author good, like Ken Preby's 26 lyrical testimonies and detailed courtroom sketches provide young sleuths. Hey, there's that word again. Sleuths. Young sleuths with everything they need to crack the code and find the culprits. Are you ready to try your hand? Visit bandersnatchbooks.com slash withywindle. You didn't know we had Wait, a code for this it's, one, so it's too. bandersnatchbooks. Can I try to spell bandersnatch? Can I see if I can do it? I doubt you can, but go for it. B-A-N-D. I Band. I feel like that's that part I can do. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Band. Er. So B-A-N-D-E-R. Bander. So far, so good. 
Snatch. S-N-A-T-C-H. B-A-N-D-E-R-S-N-A-T-C-H. Bandersnatch. Books.com slash W-I-T-H-Y-W-I-N-D-L-E. <laughs> Bandersnatchbooks.com slash Withywindle. That book sounds really fun. This code will get you 10% off your order. I'm going to do this immediately. I'm going to be the first one to use this code because I want a lyrical testimony-based <laughs> murder mystery. Mi- murder mystery. So, so you get to be the sleuth. Yeah, it sounds incredible. So, okay, I think Graham is feeling a little uppity here, so why don't you go online and try to be the first to you, use this code? I'm sorry you won't be the first because while we're saying this, you won't hear this you know, for a day or so, and I, I've already used it. Well, let yourself be second. <laughs> yeah. Be first to be second. Be, so, the, be the first person to be the second. Be the first to be the first kid. Again, bandersnatchbooks.com slash withywindle, and then put in that code withywindle to get 10% off this amazing looking book by author Ken Preby. And that book is available now? It's available. Well, that's amazing. I can't wait to, to, uh, to, to read this book and have it in my house and have it in our bookstore and maybe one day we'll have to, eh, maybe, I don't know, maybe see if we can get Ken Preby to come on podcast or something. We'll see. I would think that would, that, that sounds great. All right. Well, that brings us to snack time. No, no, we already, we already did that. Or, oh. oh, you want to eat some, let's, you know what, let's eat some snacks. We, again, yes. And then we'll come back and do lazy words. We've had one snack time, but well, have we had second snack time? No, we haven't. Mm. And you know what? Second snack time is a great idea. That ad read really wore us out. So we need some nourishment. Some spicy, sweet nourishment. So we'll be right back. Ah, maybe we shouldn't go anywhere. Maybe we should just eat on the air. <laughs> <laughs> All so, right. So it is time for Lazy Words. And as David said, this seems to be a hot segment. Everyone's favorite new segment. It's so exciting, even though it's lazy. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. So excited. Even though it's lazy. So last week, uh, we debuted the third lazy word of the season, uh, and we thought that the word space, referring to outer space, was particularly lazy. Well, you know why we thought that? Because it's particularly lazy. Yes, sir. (laughs) So we asked for suggestions. Um, What would you replace the word space with? And we got a bunch. We get some answers. Uh, Joseph thinks it should be called airless darkness. <laughs> That's good. Okay. Uh, Giorgio, the black area. The black. Oh, say no more. You see, that's just as des- descriptive as space. Yeah, there's a lot of space it's, out there. No, it's more descriptive than space yeah, right. because at least it tells us it's black. Maria thinks the cordless vacuum. Because <laughs> it's a vacuum. Yeah, okay. Well, yeah. Uh, Aubrey thinks it should be called the incredible cosmos. That makes sense to me. Yeah, it does. Uh, I think I'm going to start calling these cookies the Incredible Cosmos. Elena thinks it should be called Sailor's Guide. Huh. That's creative. Eddie wants it to be called Whirly Twirly Expanse <laughs> because of all the galaxies and the twirling and whirling. Whirly Twirly Expanse makes a lot of sense. I don't know what to say. Lily, this is a funny one. Uh, since space contains the Milky Way, it should be called the Candy Wrapper. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, honestly, like every star is like a skittle. So, and we got so many more. I can't, I can't read them all. Good job here, by everybody. Thank you. Just keep sending them in. 
Uh, if we didn't get to yours this time, we'll try to get to the next time. Yeah, thank you for sending these in. These are great. You're and you're and honestly, you are proving that you can solve the world's most important problems mm. when you send in solutions to these lazy words. And it's just, it's just, we have hope in the future now. <laughs> yeah, I don't see any laziness coming through I know. the emails. I know, I agree. Just industriousness. Exactly. Problem solving. The future yeah. future generations are, are, are don't let the old people. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so would you like to know this week's lazy word? I think that would be for the best because if we didn't, it would the segment would be like sort of half-baked. So David, um, you know how you wake up and you eat breakfast? No. Oh, well, you know how people wake up and they eat breakfast? Yes, my children do, yes. And, and there's a time before lunch, you know, you wake up. What's that kind of time frame called? Elevensies. No, not elevensies. Mid-morning? Morning. Let's go morning. Hunger space? <laughs> morning, okay? Yeah. okay? So, and then there's a... Morning uh, was the word you were looking for? <laughs> okay. Yeah, morning. Okay. And then uh, when you go to bed, what time is that? Night. That's night. Yes. Okay. After dinner? Evening. Evening. What do you call the space between lunch and dinner? Afternoon. <laughs> uh, yeah. Today's lazy word is afternoon. So people can, people can, morning's a great word. Evening, beautiful. Night, great. And then they're like, what, what do we call this area? I don't know, Larry. It's like, I, we just had noon. We could just, we call, just call it, it afternoon. Done. Let's Done. just go with that. Stamp of don't approval. Don't work today. Moving on. <laughs> I, like, I get it. It's... Uh, uh, maybe not the most exciting part of the day. I, I quite like afternoons, though. I, I don't know. I don't understand how this came to be. We need to come up with a new Some word solutions. for the time between lunch and dinner where we're not referencing another time, which would be noon. <laughs> we don't need to reference Here's noon. One. Morning isn't before called... Before five. <laughs> you see, morning's not called before noon. That's true. Exactly. It's got its own cool lyrical word okay so do you have any solutions oh. <laughs> nap time <laughs> nap time uh coffee time i mean the sun is like kind of high in the sky it could just be called like bright zone it's true i, I, I just peak think day peak day peak the peak the peak you, you but you see you understand <laughs> sorry how was that cookie the wallows the wallows, the doldrums. Well, you know, there's the hour, like, uh, parents talk about how there's the witching hour, which yeah. is kind of late afternoon before dinner when little little kids start to lose their minds. I've heard of this. So the witching hour is a great name for something. Yeah. So it's got to be, it could be something like that, like the wallows, I think just, I'm not sure what it means, but it just it sounds, sounds right. And it sounds like a, a time period that could encapsulate you know, four or five hours. Yeah, exactly. But I think this is a big problem. I think this one is I serious. It's, I, I agree. The whole, and you know what? This is not a word that you use sometimes. This is a word you use daily, every day, morning, noon, and night. <laughs> sometimes even afternoon. <laughs> sometimes afternoon. Yes. Actually, that's probably when you mostly use it. Mm. All right. So send us in what you think afternoon should actually be called because you are not lazy. You are industrious and studious and have solutions to the world's biggest problems. How could people do that? Podcasts at goldberrybooks.com. Podcasts at goldberrybooks.com? Yes. And while we're discussing this email, we haven't done a, a kind of drawing challenge this season. That's true. I think it would be fun 
if we had kids just referencing the the company that sponsored us last week, which was not Bandersnatch Books and Goblabet, it was um, Certified Stick. Certified Stick, yeah. We we talked a little bit about Certified Stick's headquarters. We we, we, we didn't did. describe it very much. So maybe some sort of I don't know stickish building, whatever. Take that however you want. Maybe we could get some drawings from the kids of what they think the Certified Stick headquarters might look like. Be funny if Certified Stick headquarters is made of stone. That would be hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> or straw. <laughs> so send us that in podcast at goldberrybooks dot com as well as your uh, renaming of afternoon and eventually your riddle answer when we get to the end. Lots of lots of ways to get in touch. Um, and beyond the email, you can also follow us on Instagram. Goldberry underscore studios. And we post a lot of fun stuff there. We post little clips from the show that you can share with people and spread the word. And while we're talking about it, it'd be great if you could go on to whatever podcast app you use to listen to Withy Wendell and... Uh, Tap that star button, tells us how much you like it. And maybe even, you know, write a little review in there that says, this is the least lazy podcast I listen to on Thursdays. But, yeah, well, it comes out on Fridays, but... But they might wait till They the might wait till Thursdays. Thursdays. Yeah. Or, this podcast sounds like Lucky Charms Tastes. You got one? Magic delicious yeah yeah exactly, exactly yeah okay so if you could leave us a review about how magically delicious this podcast is <laughs> we would certainly appreciate that but that brings us now to snack time no no cram oh it's book time book time that brings us now to book time let's do it featuring snacks <laughs> all right well and here we go featuring snack time featuring snacks oh this was a bad idea hold on we kind of got ahead of ourselves what i meant to say is we're back with book time featuring snack time. But I'm going to need you to talk now because those are spicy crackers. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So you remember last week uh, we met a couple new characters and there was a confusion in the marketplace. Mm -hmm. So Milo had finally made it to Dictionopolis, mm -hmm. got to the word fa fair word market. Yep. Um, saw some words he really liked, yep. but eventually the spelling bee. And there was a, there was a tussle. And the humbug, yeah, yep, got in a big fight. Yep. And so now we're on chapters five and six. Yeah. And so as a result of that big fight, all the words in the market are all in a jumble and everybody's all confused. And a policeman comes up. Do you remember his name? Uh, Officer Shrift. Yeah, Officer yeah. Shrift, yeah. Because the chapter is called a short shrift. Short shrift. I think Milo and, and the watchdog got a, got a short shrift in this chapter. <laughs> they did. So they end up in jail in this chapter for six million years. Six million year sentence. Where they meet the witch now. No, 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 no. That's too scary. I don't think they met the witch. They met the witch. Uh, oh, the witch. witch. Not the, the witch. The, the witch. The witch. W-H-I-C-H. Witch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so uh, Officer Shrift, <laughs> whose illustration is just incredible. Um, yeah, he throws them in uh, and warns them about, about the witch. <laughs> Who, it turns out, however, is not so bad. No, she's pretty great. She's, but she, she is in jail because she was a problem causer. She was hired to solve a problem, but then she caused a problem because she got greedy. She was a miser. Work. She was a miser. That's right. She was a miser. Yeah. She was supposed to um, be the one who kind of delegates which, um, which, which words 
can be used in the kingdom. But but she got very greedy and wanted to keep all the words for herself. And, and eventually she just expected like silence from everybody. But, and then she says that the only way things are going to get solved is if rhyme and reason comes back. Mm. So then she tells the story about two sisters who are named rhyme and reason, who were the voices of wisdom for the kingdom. They were the, they, they were the ones who made decisions, but they got banished because the, their fathers who were the Kings didn't like them anymore because they wouldn't, pick sides basically mm-hmm. in their in their conflicts and so rhyme and reason got banished and now ever since the kingdom has had no rhyme or reason yeah their fathers were named azaz the unabridged and then the other one is the math magician <laughs> the math magician who okay. i'm assuming these characters are going to come into play and i cannot wait because i do not remember i remember the name math magician but not not exactly what he does so i have a question for you G- yes rhyme or reason mm-hmm. which one do you think you most uh, uh, um, identify with or it seems most ap- appealing? So this is an interesting question. I It depends on the day. It depends on the time of day. Maybe in the afternoon, I'm more reasonable. But in the morning, <laughs> in, in I'm the more peak rhymey. time, I would think probably rhyme. What about you? It's a tough one. I mean, you know, I, it seems a bit like my gut says rhyme because who wants to listen to reason? But mm-hmm. I think that also... Probably, isn't the point that you need a balance of both of them? Because what if they had mm-hmm. just banished rhyme? What would have happened to the kingdom? Or what if they had just banished reason? Then what would have happened? Yeah, exactly. If they had just banished rhyme and left reason, then I, the kingdom would not be as silly. People, yeah. the ki- people in the kingdom would not be acting as silly as they, as they currently are. <laughs> That's very true. I think balance is the word. I think it's kind of the defining word of these chapters, too. Um because also the witch did not have a balance. That's I true. think like her role in this in this wordy kingdom seems pretty important. Because without her, everybody's just using all sorts of words and and, and willy nilly, just throwing them around <laughs> willy nilly, and everybody's all silly. But with when she was miserly in her job, then words became sparse and people then you had up with lazy words <laughs> <laughs> and people didn't say a lot of them so too little so there, there's that too it's it, it, if she would have had a more balanced approach to her job as the witch uh witch. things might nope. have gone better the the witch the witch the witch so what do you think is going to happen to our guy he just he got out of prison by just pushing the button walking out because the, the, the short shrift he sure loves to send people to prison he's not that interested in he keeping does, them yeah he's that. not that interested in keeping them which that's hilarious um <laughs> yeah. i i laughed out loud uh when that happened so he's out of the prison now what do you think is gonna happen next well i i know like immediately that the king's advisors came uh and put them in a cart of some sort or a car I'm having trouble remembering. Yeah, where is that? Oh, it, it just doesn't say. It's their vehicle. Oh, it's a small wooden wagon. It's their vehicle to take them to the royal banquet. So I know that's where they're going next. But but vehicle. Yes. AKA conveyance. A conveyance. Oh, yes. Or 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 a uh, a chariot. Or a rig. A buggy. A uh, coach. Brougham. Shandridan. <laughs> how does one? I don't know how to. Shandry Dam. That's a new one to me. And of course, that is not a lazy word. They're not sure. Uh, Milo's confused at how it's going to uh, go, and then they tell him you need to be quiet. Um, for it goes without saying. 
Which is such a good pun. I know it does. And it's one of those ones that you take takes you a second, and then you just does that. So they're going to meet the king. Um, it seemed that way. I imagine there's going to be some nonsense <laughs> in the next chapter. I would hope so. And then in the chapter after that, there's going to be some silliness, and then it might switch back to nonsense. Uh, and, and at then, some point, there should be a brouhaha. I, probably, maybe, uh, um, maybe some more uh, chaos. Uh, I think they're going to meet a whole lot of um, a whole lot of very interesting and unique people. Because <laughs> it, <does>, it seems <laughs> like that's the mo of each chapter in this book. They get introduced to someone interesting and and uh, and unusual. But I, I am very excited to meet this king that presides over such a crazy land. You know, speaking of interesting, unusual people who are kings presiding over lands, what say we uh, kick it over to our conversation with Daniel Nary now? <laughs> <laughs> Great idea. Okay, perfect. Then give us a quick minute to take a break. We'll be back in just a minute to introduce you to Daniel Nairi, this week's guest. And we're back! Well, that woke me up. Well, yeah, you were asleep, so I feel like it was for the best. We're back. We're about to have a conversation with Daniel Nairi, and I have a feeling you will not be able to fall asleep during this conversation I mean, you might be able to, Graham, because you can fall asleep, like, you know, when being run over by a train. Uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But the kids, I, I bet the kids are going to stay awake. Uh, Daniel Nairi was born in Iran and spent some years as a refugee before immigrating to Oklahoma at age eight with his family. Graham, do you know what a refugee is? Yes, I do. <laughs> Could you explain that to the kids or would you rather not? <laughs> uh, a refugee is someone who has to escape uh, from a place or country. Yeah, into into a new one, and people say we're kind of a country of of immigrants who were refugees because mm-hmm. the, our country started because people came from so many different places. Now, some of those people came in 1700, but Daniel and his family came not that long ago, and so a lot of his stories are about that. So he's the author of several books for young readers, including the book we mentioned earlier, "Everything Sad Is Untrue," parentheses a true story, and also "Straw House, Woodhouse, Brickhouse, Blow," four novellas. Uh, he lived with his family in New Jersey. And one of the things that we discovered on this podcast that he just kind of dropped in there and ran away with is <laughs> that he was a pastry chef, a, a chocolatier. Yeah. So he knows a lot about chocolate and sweets and various confections. And we are very interested in those things. So he he talks about that. He talks about how chocolate's made. There's lots of interesting things in this conversation. We had such a good time chatting with uh, with Daniel. Yeah, agreed. Uh, scale of uh, one to two, how high would you rate this uh, conversation? Eleven. I didn't even know you could do that, but I accept it. It's two times five plus one. That's how I got to eleven. I see what you did there, I, I think. I, th- I think that makes sense. It doesn't matter. All right, you know what? This is nonsense. Let's get on with the conversation with Daniel Nyeri. Okay, well, we are here with Daniel Nyeri. Nyeri? N- not Nyeri. It's close. Yeah, yeah, I'll take that. <laughs> Nairi, we're so glad that you're on the podcast. Uh, your book has been making waves in our shop and among a lot of the, the families that listen to this podcast. And so thank you so much for coming on uh, and, and just being a part of Withy Window and, you know, having a good time with us. Thank you for having me. Uh, any podcast named Withy Window, I'm, I'm all for. <laughs> I'm, we're just reading uh, Lord of the Rings to my son. It's his first run through. He's nine. Oh, nice. So about three weeks ago, uh, we were at the Withy Window. Uh, so there was a bit of serendipity. The river, of course, that uh, Tom Bombadil lives off of. My favorite character, blessedly not in the movies because they would have ruined him. 
Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's too and, hard to do. And I was like, this is <laughs> way too hard. But I, I love it. I love it. Thank you for having me. It's an honor to be here. Yeah. Well, so we've got lots of questions, um, but we have to start with, you know, the standbys, the essential questions. We always tell people, this is the most important question that you're going to get on this podcast. Graham, would you like to do the honors this time on this most important question? I typically do it, but I'm feeling magnanimous this morning. All right, Daniel. Cheetos or Doritos? Go. Okay. Fuego everything, first of all. <laughs> uh, so Doritos uh, has, has some new fire flavors that I got to go with. So we're going, we're going hot and spicy. Hot and spicy every but, time. But Cheetos does as well. They do. But uh, you know, can, I say, can I say Cheetos if I've got chopsticks? because those things i they don't come off your fingers they're like they're like axle grease oh my goodness just orange finger this is so funny (laughs) the last person we interviewed literally this has not aired yet when when we're doing this interview but the last person we talked to literally said the same thing chopsticks with cheetos hey that's that invention also you got so many of them in your drawer the little wooden disposable ones. I I know I know it's a little bit of a poncy thing to do. It's a little bit you know <laughs> pinky up as I drink my tea sort of behavior. Just put your hand in the Cheetos bag, buddy. But we live in a technological <laughs> age. I'm trying to write while I'm doing this, and I can't be smearing orange powder all over my computer. It's true. So are you a snacker while you write then? Sounds like you are. Oh my gosh, it's awful. <laughs> yes, yes. You know if I'm doing well because there's just a little, you know, floaty of of uh, <laughs> candy wrappers and, and chocolate <laughs> and snacks and coffee. Okay, and so one candy. of our segments on this podcast is snack time. So we'll just in general, what are your favorite snacks? What's your go-to candy? Like we have some things we go to when we're recording. Yeah. What are you turning to to get you through a tough writing period? Listen, I am omnivorous. So I used to be a pastry chef. So I, I, and my specialization was as a chocolatier. So I used to do these chocolate tastings for the, like, like literally it was $500 a person to get in. Right. So we're talking about, you're going to eat some amount of chocolate at such a high end. And so some of these, some of these chocolatiers that we're bringing the, you know, uh, pieces in for they're handmade. They only make 12 a day, like Mm. literally 12 pieces of chocolate a day. Some of these, so we are talking about extreme, you know, high quality chocolates. Um, some of these, the factories, um, you know, will be like just outside of Pisa and they only make 20,000 bars a year, which is an, Mm. you know, incredibly small number. Um, and so, so a lot of people assume as a result that I'm very snobby about my chocolate. <laughs> and the answer is I will lick the chocolate that has smeared off of the, uh, <laughs> the underside of your couch cushion. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not a proud man, but if I, if I have a choice, uh, at the, at the gas station, I'm always going for caramellos. Caramel. Okay. That's, that's my gas station pick on a road trip. If I'm snacking while I'm writing, I love a nutty buddy. Okay. You know, those things are pretty yeah. rad. Uh, I like, and we're still on the sweets. Raisinets are nice because, again, you just, you're just grabbing and. Uh, but it's, it's, but it's all chocolate. Dis- you're not going to like gummy worms or something. No, no, no. I'm not, not, a, I mean, I'll do some Sour Patch Kids, you know, okay. if I'm in the, but no, I'm, I'm usually a chocolates. chocolates so, guy. okay, let's go back to snobby chocolate though. Like, not sure. $500 to get into the room chocolate, but. 
let's say you're going to, you're like, I'm going to do the, the higher end. I'm not just going to grab the candy bar off the bottom shelf. Like you're at the grocery store sure. and you're, you're going to buy like something a little more expensive, a little nicer. What do you like? Do you have, does it have to be like 172% actually cocoa? Like do you actually like have the beans yourself or how, how does that work for you with, with quote unquote snobby chocolate? Let's, let's go fussy. We're, we're going to be fussy today. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Let's go fussy chocolates. Yeah. So, so chocolate, the way it's, it's formed is that, you know, you have the plant, the cacao pod, right. And it's mm -hmm. like a big pod. It's about the shape of a football. You cut it in half. You take out the nibs, which are actually, you take out the beans, right. The cocoa beans. And it's like a shelled bean. And then you have to roast it. Um, and you can roast it really deeply and get like a, almost like a coffee smoky flavor, mm. or you can roast it really, um, softly just to get the shell off. But the roasting process is to get the shell separated from the nib, the nib, you'll see cacao nibs or cocoa nibs. And sometimes people will just cover those in chocolate. Sometimes they'll sell them by themselves. And it's like a crunchy, you know, um, well, it's the meat of the bean, right? So then what you do is, and this is how they did it in like uh in mexico a thousand years ago right this is where chocolate began this is how chocolate works you'll take that bean they're the nib and you'll put it on like a a flat stone and it's got a roller and they will roll stone roller over it until two until one thing happens the the nib gets crushed and it separates the fat that which is the oil starts pouring down the face of the stone hmm. and what's left is the powder. And so now you have the two constituent parts of a cocoa nib, which is cocoa powder, which we can buy at the store and you can buy cocoa powder. And if you put it on your tongue, it's like, Oh, that was, that was intense. That was like, a, yeah. all, you know, um, it's yeah. not a sweet, delicious thing. And then you have cocoa butter or cocoa fat. And you can literally buy those two things separately. People use cocoa mm. butter for their skin. People use cocoa powder for making chocolate cookies. And then what you do uh, in order to make chocolate pleasing is you take uh, um, the cocoa, the cocoa fat, you take the cocoa powder, you take <laughs> sugar, and technically all you need is that. That's what a dark chocolate is, is going to be sugar, cocoa fat, and reconstitute, like mixed together. And when you remix it together, um, it's in this case, like the, well, nowadays in modern ones, it looks like a cement mixer. It's just like turned constantly. And the more you turn it, the, the smoother it is. Hmm. If you ever have like a handmade chocolate, it'll be really gritty. The reason it's gritty is because it just hasn't been turned over in itself. Okay. This isn't the chocolate podcast, but the reason I tell you all this is because the percentage that you're looking at is the percent of cocoa powder that has been brought back into this mixture of milk. Sometimes they'll have like soy lecithin, which is something that brings everything together. It's an emulsifier. Um, sometimes there'll be uh, sugar though. And then by the way, Nestle in the like early 20th century was like, man, dark chocolate is so, it's kind of bitter. How do we make it sweeter? Well, I'm a powder milk for formula babies producer like nestle used to be used to only make powdered milk for <laughs> bottle formula for babies and they go <clears throat> here's the problem if in that mixture you add regular you pour in milk or cream which would be really nice it seizes it immediately <clears throat> becomes like a ganache and so you can't do that you can't just have melted uh, uh dark chocolate and turn it into milk chocolate so nestle comes along and goes but you could if it was powdered milk Right. And so he puts powdered milk in there. He invents milk chocolate. Everybody goes nuts because milk chocolate is just like easier on the tongue. It's sweeter and it reduces that percentage. Right. So milk chocolate traditionally is at the 50% to 60% cocoa powder. 
Whereas you get into darks, dark kind of starts around 60, 62. It's not a real science. So some people will call their dark, but it's really, it's like a 60. Um, and it's like a really light dark. And then of course you get to 72, which is what you were, the number you were referring to, I think, um, because 72 is considered the tasting chocolate. That's a dark. It's right in the middle of the range of dark. It's really where you can get a sense of the quality of the cacao. And then you can keep going. You can go up to 85, which is bitter. I know some people who only taste the 85. By the time you get to 99% cocoa powder, you've basically got all powder and just a drop of a little bit of cocoa powder <laughs> sugar. So there's no room for sugar, which means if you take a 99% dark chocolate and put it on your tongue, one, it will blow out your palate because it's like taking the cinnamon challenge, uh, <laughs> except with cocoa powder, right? You're just, and so you can never, you can't like sit there and eat 99% chocolate. Uh, unless you're challenge you're, accepted. Yeah, exactly. That's the, new, <laughs> the, new, the new challenge is, is go eat that. So the short answer to your question was 72% is where chefs will taste. And um, my favorite bar is um, a, an outfit outside of Pisa called Amadei, which is A-M-E-D-E-I. They have a lovely 72% bar that, is just spectacular. Um, very much worth it. A great Valentine's gift is that their their whole line of bars will not be cheap. Uh, have, so have I, you considered um, becoming the next Mister Rogers and doing um, a kids YouTube series where you talk about baking and chocolate and things like that? <clears throat> one, I would. I've never considered putting myself in a sentence with Mister Rogers, but I, I did it for you. I think he's he's the greatest of the great. But uh, I, yeah, I, I love cooking with kids. I love, I, I used to do a thing in the Bowery Mission um, where the, the weekend before Thanksgiving, where a bunch of sixth graders would come and we would make pies for the Thanksgiving. Uh, so the Bowery Mission is a food shelter in New York City that does thousands of meals for Thanksgiving and they wanted desserts. And so we would make 600 pies in one night. Um, and it's, but it's chaos. It's like 50, How many sixth of those graders. Did you eat? Uh, by the time you're, you're by the time you're on like pi 300 you're just like i i could Had go enough. For, for literally uh yeah any anything else any so you there's a, there's usually a, a chicken halal chicken guy outside the <laughs> little break okay so without <laughs> without thinking or giving mm-hmm. like any other information favorite pie pecan all right yeah. or i'm sorry i'm sorry i'm in the south Pecan. Pecan. <laughs> pecan. Dark chocolate pecan with like a little bit of something, something in there is, uh, is always delicious. <laughs> yeah, All right. Well, we should probably, we should probably give you a chance to talk about your books now. Graham, what's the, we have some questions about that, right? Well, yeah, but yeah, before we get into that, um, like David says, um, besides being a, a chocolate expert, you also are an author. So um, your new book is Everything Sad is Untrue. We like to give our authors a chance in their own words to kind of pitch it, to kind of give a little synopsis about it. So here's your chance in a couple minutes. Tell us what this book is about. Sure. So it's the autobiographical middle grade novel uh, that is sort of set after my own life. It sort of opens in Oklahoma where a young man is standing in front of his classroom 
And he is trying to explain to his class about his life before he got to Oklahoma because uh, he had come as a refugee from Iran after his mother uh, converted from Islam to Christianity, which is a capital crime in Iran. So she fell afoul of the secret police and they had to escape uh, Iran very quickly and become refugees, go to several uh, camps all over the world until finally they landed in Oklahoma. Of course, his class doesn't believe a word that he's saying. And so he is struggling to tell the story and he's reaching further and further back to explain why uh, the story is as it is, explaining the story of his family, the history, um, going back generations until finally he realizes he's got to explain the entire culture of Iran, the mythologies, the the poetry and uh, the literature. So it, his story starts as it becomes blooms and becomes bigger and more fantastical. He starts to feel a little bit like uh, like a character in his culture, Scheherazade from the Thousand and One Arabian Nights, who is the great storyteller, telling stories to a murderous king. And he starts to feel as though the audience, the classroom, is the same similar skeptical audience um, that Scheherazade has. Of course, the stakes are not life and death. They are maybe social life and death, but nonetheless... Um, he is uh, he is floundering until the news that his father, this person who had stayed behind in Iran, this kind of giant of poetry and mythology, uh, is going to visit Edmond, Oklahoma. There, the sure. world of stories and the world of the real are about to crash together. Will he be uh, that giant of a man or will he just be a regular old guy? Um, that is, uh, well, you'll find out if you read it. When did you know you wanted to, like, turn this story into a book. Oh, like right away. <laughs> like I was, when you were I three? Was, no, well, I was, uh, I was 11. Uh, I was sitting in a typing class and I was typing, uh, typing up a story i like this is when you we, i don't know if they have these classes anymore but they literally <laughs> teach you how to type yeah. and we had to type out a story and i had picked a story a short story by uh terry pratchett called troll bridge i'm a big fan of terry pratchett and i always loved him because he was so funny and i love fantasy stories i always love tolkien and um but then the story is actually about an old warrior who is sitting on a bridge he's he's well retired he's about to die he's like he's in his 80s and um but he's this grizzled old warrior who doesn't have anybody and this troll who it technically is like supposed to be taking the tolls at this bridge and they sort of, and he's also kind of having, you know, he's in their midlife crisis, I guess. And they're sitting at the edge of this bridge as it's snowing, just talking. And they're enemies, of course. They should be enemies. They should be fighting instead of talking. And and it's a very lovely story. It's a friendship story. It's a very, very funny in its own way. And and I, as I was typing it, I remember just thinking, I want to make, I want to make people feel this way. I just love this story. I credit it as the story that made me want to be a writer. And um, and of course, this was the story I was always telling as a kid to other people. So. So I guess 11, 12 is when I wanted to become a writer. So this, okay, so we got a question here from Cashel. He's age 12. Uh, he said, my family moves around a lot and I'm a third culture kid too. But every once in a while we get to the States and I'm always overwhelmed by all the huge supermarkets and stores and how many things are available. I wanted to know if you had similar experiences. I know you wrote about this in the book a little, but I would like to hear more. <laughs> sure. Yeah. I mean, it's a really, yeah, that's one of those like common themes when you get to the U.S. Um, the supermarkets are something else, man. <laughs> they, they, are, they are, it's a, I mean, an aisle for cereal. <laughs> <laughs> 
but uh, so yeah, it is. It is daunting. <laughs> it's also. Um, it's also. You know, it's, it's supermarkets in the United States are also one of the. You know, the U.S. has never been. Um, it's always been a. It's always been a culture that hides its class system. Um, so you know, you'll go to somewhere in like Europe or you know or you know the UAE anywhere, and it's like uh, you're very very aware that you are in a, you know, like this, there's a gigantic chateau that is, you know, has all private property and, you know, and it's just gated and, and things like that. And that's not to say America doesn't have those things, but it actually tends to, um, oddly enough, like the, um, the grocery store tends to be where it all comes together. You know what I mean? Like, um, and I, I guess another way to put it is it's the first, if you're a, if you're a refugee to come to the United States, like you're not going to, see those neighborhoods all that much but if you go to the grocery store you'll absolutely see where you stack because you can't afford any of those cereals so it's, <laughs> it's sort of an actually an interesting moment in um a kid's life where they come across like class and socioeconomic status um in an interesting way so there's like there's the brand name cereals and then there's the bagged cereals right there's the brand name peanut butter and, the, and it's just sort of lined up, up one right next to the other um, and so I, I tend to think it's a, it's a place where kids get a lot of information about the family. It's also, you know, interesting. It's also a sort of a culture where you don't talk about money, but you do talk about the price of groceries a lot. Um, huh. you know, so you're like, Oh, you know, like what, like Cheetos has Mac and cheese, but it's a cup and it's super expensive. Like, why would we, uh, why would we buy that instead <laughs> of the, instead of the generic brand Mac and cheese? Right. So, you know, that, that tends to be a place. So it's a, it's a fraught space, you know, uh, grocery stores have a lot of drama in them, you know, <laughs> um, and, takes us uh, back to chocolate. Yeah. 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 Chocolate is another one, man. That's, you can literally purchase a $40 bar of chocolate. And, you know, that to me is, I mean, it's egregious, right? Eight ounces of chocolate for $40 is, but it's possible. And so it's, it says, it says a lot. I mean, I'm not saying you should do it. I think that's overpriced, but. So, so this kind of brings up something that, like we, Graham and I were talking about um, off, off the air. I don't know. Can you be off air when it's a podcast? Whatever it is, <laughs> there Life. are um, some complicated and like even occasionally difficult subjects that get addressed in your book. You know, whether that's socioeconomic issues, like what you're talking about, but also things like, you know, bullying and like abuse, dying, things like that. So what was your like ideal age range or who were you thinking of writing this book for? You know, that's a really good question. And in fact, um, it's sort of a, it's a marketing question, I think more than an art or craft question, mm -hmm. because, you know, a lot of these categories were built, like, like I used to be in publishing and I mean, we all know that like YA was just like invented because kids <laughs> hung out at bookstores and they wanted them to have an area to hang out. Um, and, and so now people and, who read YA are 25 year old women. Right. And so like in, in that sense, like who cares, let them read it. It's, yeah. it's that's what interests them, but it's, it's into a lot of these categories are fundamentally invented because we need to know where it goes in the bookstore. Um, and we need to label those shelves. Um, and so sometimes you'll see like attempts to make new categories, like for a long time in the early aughts, people were trying to make new adult a category, which is sort of the college age range. Um, and they were trying that new adult was like <laughs> a label that publishers would send to the bookstores and bookstores would put them into like a little section, usually by the bathroom, because there's no other space in the bookstore. And, you know, it'd be like, oh, here's the new adult section. And people would be like, what is that? And 
So, you know, when, when someone asks that, I, I tend to, you know, and the reason I, I really do, I, I, I'm not one of these people who's like, um, you know, my book is all things to all people. You know, I know it has an audience and we'll get there, but I do want to say that, you know, my favorite books have are sort of uncategorizable. Um, the Hobbit, of course, is a kid's book, uh, adult book. Like that's a classic one. Yeah. No one knows where to, yeah. where to, it goes to in shell. the Tolkien section in my bookstore. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, and the same with, you know, Madeline Langle, the same with shows. I mean, it just goes on and on. There's example, you know, of course, one of my favorite novels that come out um, recently is Swamplandia. That young oh, yeah. lady, that book. I mean, it's in a quote. It's an adult book, but it, uh, you know, the protagonist is a young child. There's a, there's a lot of examples, and so, um, so the big marketing being different in different countries. Um, you know, in some countries, the book my book's been bought. It's an adult novel, and in ours, it's a middle grade novel. It's set in that age range, and I think because in America, we we decide who's the youngest person who can buy it and hit it there, and then everybody else can buy up because we do have you know the example you gave. We do have adults reading YA that, and that's fine. Um, so, but we don't, you know, we want to make sure that the teen also gets it. So it goes, gets marketed into YA and then it goes up from there. Mm-hmm. So I think of age range as almost a minimum as opposed to a maximum or even a yeah, range. Yeah. It's, it's really who's the youngest. And the answer to who's the youngest, I think, I think, I do think there is kids for whom this book would be, you know, like uh, hard um, because it's, you know, I, you know, I, I, my attempt, of course, was to make sure that it was for kids. It's a coming of age novel. Um, so coming of age in America is usually what, 13, 14, uh, yeah. uh, a mature 12. Um, that's about where I would put the book. I would if you said, hey, my 10 year old wants to read it, I'd be like, you should either read it with them listen to it with them. And if you're really intent on that, if you're a really active parent who wants to have those conversations at 10, God bless you, you know, um, mm-hmm. listen to it, but listen to it together. I don't, I, I wouldn't just like, you know, and some books are the perfect rainy day, sweetie, like go take this into the attic, sit in your nook and read by yourself. Uh, if that's what they were going to do with it, I'd, I'd give it to a 12 year old. Um, yeah. Okay. So that's long answer. Cause it's like, that one's a beast of an answer. Cause I think, <laughs> yeah. Um, as I said, it's where art and commerce kind of collide. It's. Do you have like a book that's out there that like you kind of would compare it to or think of as like in a similar vein, like maybe a classic middle grade or children's or book that like you kind of were aspiring towards or thinking of when you were writing it other than The Hobbit? And if you want to say The Hobbit, this is The Hobbit. No, yeah, I, mean, I would not. No, I mean, the Hobbit, it's such a different book. I, I adore The Hobbit, of course. It's, it's yeah, 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 yeah. Um, Yes. Uh, you know, I adore, so I actually got to work with, uh, as an editor, um, Gary Schmidt. Um, he's a wonderful oh, wow. middle grade author who, um, who wrote a book called OK For Now, which was the first time I worked with him yeah. on anything. Um, and like, I'll even, I'm, I'm, I'm a junior varsity Gary Schmidt as sort of how I perceive myself. Um, he's, he's written across the age ranges. We also, we did a picture book together about a saint called Martin de Porres. Um, and we, you know, then he did a sci-fi middle grade. Then he did a, uh, orbiting Jupiter is a pretty hard, that one's his first YA novel. Um, that one's, but he, he's wonderful. And he writes these sort of character driven, um, you know, sprawling, almost like, yeah. Uh, slice of life, but also slice of the times. Like he sort of really gives you I mean, the one I love. Okay. For now is sort of, um, you know, set in the sixties and I don't know the sixties American history very well at all. And it was just such a great 
um, experience of it. Um, so I, yeah. I think of him, if, if you're asking middle grade, alive author right now, aspiring, that's who I would say. A lot yeah, of the great. other people I aspire to are past, you know, they're, uh, yeah. You know. Well, that does happen. Yeah. <laughs> so Daniel, can you talk a little bit about the title? Everything sad is untrue. Sure. So we've already talked about Tolkien a couple of times and, you know, the title is very much a quote from his work, but before I, before that, you know, the reason I chose everything sad is untrue is I, I really wanted a sentence like it that, um, well, that on its face isn't true, right? Everything sad is not untrue. There's plenty of true, sad things. So when you read it as a, um, the very first thing you do is kind of squint at it, um, with suspicion and say like, wait a minute, what does that check out? That sentence doesn't check out. And then of course, in the early part of the book, before you even get into the book, there's a, there's an epigraph. That's a poem by Billy Collins. And it even says like, um, it's, it's paraphrased. It's not exact. And so it says Billy Collins approximately, and, you know, again, it's supposed to make you kind of squint and go, wait a minute, this this kid or this author, like, didn't even Google it enough to write the precise quote. Like, <laughs> what's up with that? Why is it? And the answer is because your suspicion at the open as a reader is what our narrator is reacting to. Right. Because he says the very first thing he says is they all think we're liars, like all Persians are liars and lying is a sin. And so he has this very defensive posture. He's already defending himself from the accusation of being a liar. And you're already set up in that dynamic to be the the accuser. And I really wanted that, um, you know, because he is, he is a narrator that you're supposed to kind of always be critiquing or, you know, asking yourself, okay, how much of this is a child being emotional? How much of it is he doesn't have the right information? How much of it is he's emotionally unable to even tell us the reality? How, how much? Hmm. And so that's why the sentence isn't, you know, factually correct. But I also love it because it can be factually correct. And, and the, because the quote itself comes from this part in The Lord of the Rings where Gandalf, the great father figure, has died and Sam and Frodo are just despondent. Everything has gone wrong. And then suddenly they hear the sound of laughter and they see that Gandalf is coming back. And Samwise, who's like the heart of the whole story, he's just this gorgeous, naive, sad, you know, little guy. And, and he, he runs to Gandalf and he says, Gandalf is is everything sad going to become untrue? Um, and it's a beautiful question. It's a question that's sort of like, it's so hopeful that just one, one thing has become untrue and maybe everything can be fixed. Hmm. And, and I love that. I wanted that sort of optimism in the time of sadness uh, for, for the narrator as well. So that's where hmm. the title comes from. Hmm. So we've got a bunch, you know, several questions here. And I think it might be worth trying to do some of these as kind of like a little, not rapid fire, but just kind of like give you a chance to answer a few of these quick so we can get to as many as possible since people sent them in. Does that sound good? Yeah, you got it. Okay. Kelsey asks, do you have any Persian fables or stories that you would recommend for kids? Um, and then also uh, wants to know if there is the ne- who the next Iranian author or book um, or, or so Iranian written book you would recommend for um, adults to read. So any Iranian uh, or Persian fairy tales yeah. and then any other Iranian authors. Let me, let me go backwards. So the classic Iranian authors that I love, it's like Ferdowsi wrote our national epic, which is called the Shahnameh. The best uh, translation of that is by a gentleman out of UPenn called Dick Davis. Um, and his translate, he's also translated several like of the love stories out of it, but um, a really wonderful, faithful translation that even handles the poetry very well and is full of the mythology of Iran probably for adults. 
for kids, um, man, I don't know how to say her name. It is uh, a name with a lot of vowels uh, from the United Kingdom in it, but she's a wonderful writer and she rewrote several. Her name is Geraldine McLaughlin. <laughs> I just added the, Yeah, We know <laughs> anyway, who you're talking about. Yeah. Do you? She's wonderful. Yeah. Anyway, she's she is she's the one to look to. She's uh, you know, done a good retelling of um, neither of those uh, translators happen to be Iranian. So I will let me get back to you on that as well. <laughs> so that you're talking about Geraldine McCorkran. Is that how you say her name? Yeah. Geraldine yeah. McCorkran. I'm sorry. You are so good and you deserved me having figured it out, Geraldine McCorkran, because I, I admire the uh, the heck out of her work. Yeah, we do too. Yeah. And she's like, we were, I was looking her up not that long ago um, because I kept seeing more and more and more of her books. And I was like, how many has she written? And it's like a hundred. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it, it is. She's, she's a, how can it be McCorkran when there's no R and yeah, it's a G? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. <laughs> this is me living the life of everybody who's ever engaged with me. <laughs> But um, anyway, she does a she does a retelling of a thousand and uh, one Arabian Nights, uh, and yeah, it's a good good place to see. All right, Jenny wants to know: Were there any stories that almost made it into the book but didn't? Yes, and I'm hoping to make a picture book of one of them. There was a gentleman who lived on the outskirts of my grandfather's land. He was a shepherd, but he really loved to kids, but he didn't have any of his own with his wife. And so um, he would take scrap metal and make toys out of them. And uh, one massive thing he made was a Ferris wheel. Uh, out of like scrap metal parts and but it worked it was amazing and he was a great storyteller of the area and so after we would leave my grandfather's land we would drive and we would sometimes stop there for tea and everyone would ride the ferris wheel and he would tell these incredible stories it's how i know any of the fairy tales or hmm. fables of, of iranian culture and he was just a really fascinating individual he lived really kind of in an isolated space um but he had such a good heart and such a joyful and um, creative out, output. And so, yeah, I really want to tell his story. Uh, I think of it as just like the Ferris wheel in the desert story. That sounds really cool. Um, <laughs> all right. So, and Jennifer wants to know, she wants to know what happens after the book ended. Where did your family go? How did you and your sister become writers? <laughs> I, uh, I mean, I, we just kept living. <laughs> so we, a lot happened. I, I, there isn't, you know, someday maybe a novel about the high school years. Cause uh, you know, I, I kept, growing up, I guess. Um, but yeah, after, after high school in Oklahoma, I ended up in New York, um, and became an editor in publishing. So I, I always wanted to be around books and writing. And so I continued doing that. And we, we all kind of migrated, um, around there and started writing. And so, um, I suppose how we became writers is, is practice. Uh, that was, that's the only way. <laughs> So speaking of writing, Sarah wants to know if you're going to consider writing a cookbook or maybe even if you just have any that you recommend. I Yes. I mean, I always, speaking of Iranian writers, Samin Nosrat wrote, uh, you know, Salt, Fat, Acid, Heat. And it is a great primer in writing. If you want just a textbook, Wiley has a, um, Wiley is the publisher, has a great textbook on uh, cooking called The Professional Chef. Uh, what else? Golly, there's a lot of cookbooks out there. But I mean, is like that's to me nowadays. Once she wrote that, I was like, that's the place to start if you don't know how to cook. She really gives you a way to think about what sh food from how it should taste, which is probably a good place to start, right? <laughs> <laughs> Wait, no, back you, to chocolate. You, 
No, you, you dodged the question. Um, what did she's, I? Yeah, she's also wondering, would you consider writing a cookbook? Uh, so in my younger days, I ghost wrote a couple of cookbooks for other, for, sure. for other like folks. O- like Odalengi? Or did you write all those? <laughs> no, not that one. Uh, but you know, I so I I don't know if as a chef I rank high enough to get a cookbook. Uh, I, I would like to. I, I think I'll always include food and lots of food in my writing. Um, well, now that, that you're I a world that, famous author, <laughs> seems like it. I'm like, cool. Among the like 600 people that you know, we. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> Well, thanks. Um, but no, actually, your book has been um, unrelated to the question. Your book has been like uh, really hot in our store, and like I think word of mouth has gotten around, and people are like, "Okay, this is going to sound kind of condescending, but it's one of those ones where like people are like, you hadn't heard of that book. Have you heard of this book? It's awesome, you know." You know <laughs> it's hey, like that. that's not only is that not condescending. That's where I want to be. Like the band that everybody thinks they're telling everybody else about is the is they're the luckiest band in the world. Yeah. <laughs> <So> like, <laughs> As far as I'm concerned, I would like to be everybody's hidden gem. Uh, please keep discovering it. And because uh, that's the one you're most excited, right? You get to share something that is otherwise, uh, it's almost like it's a beautiful, delightful surprise is, I mean, certainly I ever, I know this feeling of myself, right? Anytime I discover what I think is a hidden gem, somehow I love it even more than saying like, you know, they did a pretty good job with that last Avengers movie. Good job. Well done, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Okay, Graham, let's do, uh, let's do one more and then move on to our, uh, our quiz. We got a quiz for you, Daniel. So you should probably start getting nervous right now. Terrified. Yeah, immediately. All right. So this last one, this is from Kristen. She says, I would love to know if he did anything in particular to prepare for recording the audiobook. And if he found any part of that process unexpectedly challenging or rewarding. It was extremely challenging. <laughs> it was during COVID. Uh, so I was given an address of a gentleman who was going to be the recording uh, professional. And I had I rode my motorcycle there. So during what's one thing people don't know about motorcycles is that you've got your helmet on. And you can scream inside this helmet, but when you're going 50 miles per hour, nobody can hear you. So it's a very private space and the acoustics are awesome. So you can sing <laughs> to yourself, which I often do. I often like belt songs to myself in my helmet uh, as I'm, as I'm writing. And so I would, I would do, and so I would do all the embarrassing uh, vocal things in my helmet. So I would sit there and be like, sibilance, sibilance. <laughs> She sells seashells by the seashore and uh, no one would know it as I'm riding past. And I get to his house and we have to be very separate from one another. Uh, but I go into his studio as he's in the glass, uh, you know, space in the producer's area. And I see glass all these case awards. of emotion. Yeah. And I see all these uh, awards on his wall and I go, Hey, what are all these? This is amazing. And he goes, Oh, those are, those are Grammys. And I was like, mm, what? <laughs> like, what are, we, what are we talking about? And he goes, well, I did all the, the Harry Potter recordings with Jim Dale. And I'm like, Oh, the Jim Dale, like the greatest voice over guy of all time. The one that people like seek out instead of the book to listen to. <laughs> and he goes, and he goes, yeah, him. And I was like, wow. And what's this one? And he goes, Oh, well I do uh, all the, who's the, the, doc, the great documentary, Ken Burns. I do all the Ken Burns over uh, voiceover as well and i was like so you're telling me that in that seat on butts have been placed that are infinitely great <laughs> and uh and then it's me and he goes yeah yeah you'll be fine 
And so I, I, the short answer to your question is I went in with fear and trembling, just praying that somehow the vibe in the room would carry me across. Uh, and I, I hope it did. And then at the end, he said, nothing nice. And you left crying. <laughs> <laughs> he, was, he was very kind about it. Yeah, he was he was he was better at making me less nervous after he showed me the crying. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Daniel, it is quiz time. And uh, Graham, you're you're the quiz master. And if I don't know if you've ever listened to one of these quizzes, Daniel, but they are incredibly challenging and you might leave crying, but we will try to make you feel better about it. I'm already crying. I don't know how to yeah, take it. <laughs> we like we like to not tell our guests about this, right? You okay. know, because that once you're already in it, there's not an easy way out. So. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Gotcha Unless you question. can find that red button that says leave. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> and at this point, you'll just look like a coward. <laughs> that's right. It never looks good to leave the interview, right? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Exactly. Let's let's do this. I can buckle down. I can take. I can maybe I can answer everything with a question. How about that? Oh no! We, Don't do that. Okay. Do that. Is it Jeopardy? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So. um uh, everything sad is untrue. You have described this as a patchwork story. So a lot of times with our authors, we kind of theme a quiz, but this is going to be kind of a patchwork quiz. Yeah. <laughs> Every question has something to do with your book, but we're not going to explain why, unless you really want to. So people will kind of have to figure this out. All right. You ready to jump in? Let's do it. It's very serious. All right. So Persian rugs. <laughs> Okay, Persian rugs are acclaimed for their intricacy, the clarity of their design, and the incredible amount of knots, sometimes thousands per square inch. Okay, which of these has more knots per square inch? Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Daniel, I haven't heard any of this either, so um, I'm right here with you. Uh, don't listen to the clacking of my keyboard. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> it's very serious. Yeah. Okay, which has more knots per square inch? Christmas lights, once they've been put away for the year and then pulled out, even though you put them in perfectly. That's, that's option A. That's it. Just go with that. Option B, your earphone cords after you've shoved them into your pocket. Oh, that could be it. Even for 30 seconds. Or C, your brain when trying to decipher your editor's notes. Oh, man. Square inch. I feel like I have the greatest editors in the world. Uh, so I'm going to go. I'm going to go with the earphones because those are devious. Those have been made to turn into little tangles. It's like they come alive. They go in your pocket and they come alive and then they wind themselves up. That, mm -hmm. that is, the, I would say that is the correct answer. I put option C on there about your yeah. editors. Um, I figured you wouldn't want to throw them under the bus, but you're never quite sure. <laughs> yeah, you always right. let people have the opportunity to be mean to their editors in a public forum. Yeah. Well, I'm in the I'm currently in the middle of uh, copy edits for my next book, and it's set in the Silk Road in the 11th century. And you have to understand these edits are like life saving edits. Like they will come around and be like, "Well, so here's the thing. Um, you mentioned the word ninjas in a, like a throwaway joke, but ninjas as a as like a, a group were not really uh, prominent until the 14th century and i'm sitting there just going like you win i'm out <laughs> so, i so want their, to be a job thank usually, you very much I know. okay all, all right all right all right you guys are throwing yeah. too much credibility into my quiz time. <laughs> <laughs> sorry sorry question number two jean-claude van damme yes the kickboxing yes, actor the muscles from brussels <laughs> yeah <laughs> 
All right. Clearly his born in 82. His real name is Jean-Claude Camille Francois von Vanderberg. Van Damme is a stage name, but before settling on Van Damme, he briefly tried out one other stage name. Okay, which of these is it? You got multiple Bono. choices. A, Jean-Claude Van Shining. <laughs> B, Jean-Claude Van Cujo. Or C, Jean-Claude Van Salem's Lot. <laughs> Um, I, here's what I think, because I know, I don't know this, but I do, uh, have a sense of him and I would say Jean-Claude Van Shining sounds, sounds accurate. It sounds accurate, but is it accurate? It's not, it, but it feels like it, like, it's like, it's the kind of name you'd give yourself if you were trying to become a movie star, like you're shining, you're a star. What if you Tom- were trying to sound like uh, some kind of like rabid dog? Oh no. Is this, was it really Cujo? <laughs> is that true? <laughs> Oh, Jean Claude! <laughs> he was try- He was he, he was cool enough, but he tried to be extra cool, and it didn't yeah. work for him. I guess too you far. Know? That's too, too far, far, buddy. What does this have to do with anything related to, to Daniel? Yeah, you. Know, I don't know. Yeah, you know, I, I am a big martial arts uh, uh, obsessive, and in the book, okay, Jean Claude okay. Van Damme is he, He's in the book. Question three: Edmond, Oklahoma. Best. Okay, a place you called home for quite some time was named after railroad agent Edmund Burdick. Okay, before that, in 1887, before 1887, it was called Mile Marker 103. <laughs> That's just tangential. Keep it, man. Keep it. <laughs> okay, you know the city intimately. We do not. If you could change the name of Edmund to anything else, what would you choose? Or would you keep it? Well, that's not a good option. You can't give him the option to keep it. <laughs> you, well, if I, you had to change the name, <laughs> if I had to change the name, um, so I, uh, I lived on a street called Earl A. Rodkey Drive after a gentleman who was a flour mill owner, who was. I always thought it was such a weird name to live on Earl A. Rodkey. But it turned out when I did the history, he during the depression would like give free flour to the people and really made Edmund uh, uh, survive or helped Edmund survive. So I love the name Edmund. I think it's a really perfect like town name. But, you know, I'd I'd give Earl A. Rodkey a great hero of of Edmund past the the nod and it would be Rodkey, Oklahoma. Rodkey. okay, not Earl A. Oklahoma. Earl, Oklahoma. <laughs> we will start a petition and yeah. give it to the um, whoever needs to have it up in that up in that town. All right, last question. Your childhood stuffed animal, sheep, sheep, plays a role in this story. So sheep are fascinating creatures. They are stubborn. They have excellent memory, and they have very delicious. Unique, they have very unique eyes. They have rectangular pupils. Okay, this allows them to see up to like 320 degrees, basically anything that's not directly behind them. Okay, huh. if you could opt for this feature, would you take it? <laughs> <laughs> I will tell you, I, people's eyes are are like clearly will will really uh, what's the word like uh, unnerve if you have a slightly different eyes. I will tell you why. During the early aughts, a popular uh, fashion thing was colored lenses. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like, like the uh, contact lenses. Contact lenses, yes. Yeah. And I had always wanted hazel eyes, and so I went through a very short phase wherein I <laughs> had 
like colored lenses. And if you look at photos of me as a as a seventeen year old, it's unnerving. Like you look at it and go, "What's up with what's up with his eyes? Is he is he like a murder robot?" Or what? <laughs> <laughs> what? And so I I would not, even though I love the idea of having uh, more power in the vision department. I think I think just unnerving people, scaring them, frankly, would be yeah, what's the trade off. Yeah, exactly. you can see it like Jean-Claude Van Damme. You'd be able to have that more of a sense of people sneaking up on you. Or... Yeah, I mean, it's like a sp- spider sheepy sense. <laughs> John, but, um, Jean-Claude yeah. Von Cujo. That's there all right, go. Daniel. Um, that is the end of the quiz. I'm giving you a passing grade, but I have to you know, send it up to the assessors. For when they will give you that official report, but <laughs> in, in twelve to thirty-six weeks, you'll get the official report. Thank um, you. Well, it is time now for a, the next very important segment in this conversation. I hope you have time because it is now the word of the week time. And the word of the week time is probably the single most important five minutes that you're going to spend this week. Um, and so. I don't want to overstate it too much, but I feel like we, you know, we just need to give the word of the week section of this episode its due. So, um, part of the I mean, reason the why words so- that come to mind: humbled, honored, <laughs> anticipatory. Keep going. Uh, uh, ready. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right you know we'll, we'll, we'll give you the we'll give you the word of the week instead of you having to give us words yeah, of, okay uh, cool, of cool, cool yeah um ready <laughs> this week's word of the week is ready um okay so we we have this problem here daniel where um we we had this printer and it printed the word of the week just of it is he kept screwing it up so i took i took it upon myself between seasons two and three to create the official withy windle word of the week dictionary uh the O-O-W- O W D. Did I get that right? right? I don't know. So I spent a lot of time on it, really, really worked hard at it. And then I put it on the shelf before the first episode because I, I own a bookstore and it's like book, bookstore, shelf. Like it just made sense, right? Now, the flaw is I didn't take into account the, the, the troll that lives in the basement of our bookstore is just a petty, he's just a petty dude. And he stole the dictionary and He's probably going to get mad at me now because I called him a dude. Trolls don't like that little known fact. Um, but he's churlish is what he is. They don't mind petty. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, no, no. Tro- like trolls know they're petty. Um, they just accept <laughs> that. They just don't like being called dude. So it's part of being petty. So he has the dictionary in his lair. It's in the basement. Sometime we'll show you where he lives if you ever come to our bookstore. So to get the word of the week, one of us has to go down and we have to try to convince him to, to give us the, the word. So I'm going to head down there. We're going to see what he asks for this week. And so just bear with me for a second. All right. You got it. Yeah, what is it? We already talked about how he's petty and surly and all that. He, this is a new one. Did not expect this to be the thing that he was asking for. The bookstore troll, he, he wants a, a doormat for his lair. Oh, and that should be simple. He That's wants easy. it to say he wants it to say home is where the troll is, though. So that's oh. going to be a little tough. 
So I'm going to have to go off. I think I'm probably going to have to find someone who makes Persian rugs to make this a custom. a custom one that says home is where the troll is. So I'll be back in, like I said, 12 to 36 weeks. And we will then do the word of the week then once he has given it to me. So hold on, bear with me while I go and do that. David, you look a lot uh, tanner than you were before. Yeah, I had to go across the ocean. Uh, little known fact about Persian rugs. Actually, not little known fact. Very heavy. Very heavy. And I'm back. <laughs> so I got the I got it. But then he told me that it was too big and he doesn't want it. But because I went to all that trouble, he was going to give me the word of the week anyway. So while he is surly, he was slightly less petty. So we got the word of the week, but now I've got to figure out what to do with this rug. A whole different situation. We'll deal with that later. Here's the word of the week. Okay. Daniel, are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. The word of the week is hobbledyhoy. Hobbledyhoy. (laughs) No. It's real. It's a real real word of the week, man. Come on. It's a troll joke. (laughs) It's not a troll joke. Well, I mean, I can't prove that, but... um, it's H O B B L E D E H O Y. H O B B L E D E H O Y. Hobbledehoy. So we're going to take a couple minutes to write down what we think the definition of this word is and come back and we're going to we're going to share what we think it is before we reveal the actual definition. Daniel, do you think you're going to be able to do this? Like you said, are you going to be successful with this? Uh, I'm going to be a participant in this. <laughs> hey, you were, you were talking to the quiz winner, Daniel Nayeri. That's yeah. true. That's true. I don't know what I was. I don't know why I was skeptical. You don't know this, but the the, uh, the rug outside of my house says uh, Hobbledehoy. It says oh, okay. the Hobbledehoy. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know okay. what that means. It's, but, weird that, it's weird that you don't know what it means, but there's still a, like a Persian rug outside your... You know, we're weird people. We- <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll put anything on a rug. Yeah, this will make sense as soon as I know the definition of this word. I hope it's yeah, not- yeah, Actually, it really will probably. Okay, so <laughs> we're going to take a minute, write down what we think it is, and we will be back. I'm going to walk around and pace. Okay, and we are back. We're back to provide our definitions for the word hobbledehoy. Graham, as is our tradition, you will go first, then I will go, and then our very special guest will go, and then we will reveal what the real definition for this word is. Graham Pittman, you have the floor. Hobbledehoy is... All right, you guys know pirates, right? Heard of them. But personally, or like... (laughs) (laughs) All right, so pirates. Sometimes they can be too successful. And so hobbledehoy is the feeling of malaise that sweeps over the entire crew when they have plundered too much and realize that happiness lies elsewhere. So it's like the opposite of ahoy, mate. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think it passes. It only it only lasts like a minute. Okay. Well, yeah, like, well, part of being a pirate is pushing those sorts of feelings to like under to the subconscious. Like you've got to keep them away from the surface. Yeah, you don't want hobbledehoy right. if you're a pirate. I, I agree. Now, I don't know if I don't know if that's the right definition, but I don't think it is because I think that hobbledehoy is the Belgian name for the tool that is used when emulsifying cocoa butter with cocoa powder when making delicious milk chocolate, uh, usually on uh, Tuesdays and Thursdays. Uh, so, like, this is very hobbledehoyed chocolate. 
Right. And, and someone goes, that'll be $40. <laughs> it's been triple hobbled before. Yeah, it's a particular tool. It's the Belgian name. Yeah, right. Exactly. Triple off. Exactly. Oh, wait, what do we call it? A whisk? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know, man. I'm not a chocolatier. (laughs) All right, Daniel. Well, uh, well, I think I think those are both wonderful. But uh, the actual let me just just deliver it right now. The the real is uh, it's an exclamation of exhaustion as when someone has carried a Persian rug across three continents. Example. How you doing, buddy? You limping? Hobbledehoy, my hip hurts. <laughs> <laughs> I think, like, I think I'm, I don't know if that's the real definition, but I'm going to incorporate that into like everyday use and just see if it catches oh. on. <laughs> okay, so the actual definition of hobbledehoy is hobbledehoy is an awkward or ill mannered young boy. That's what oh, a hobbledehoy yeah. is an awkward or ill mannered young boy. So I just added this into my vocabulary, into my like household vocabulary. Then. Yeah. Yeah. So if you were shouting at them, uh, a bunch of newsies in the 1940s, <laughs> you'd be like, hey, you no good Nick ragamuffin hobbledehoys. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Can you fun. incorporate this into a story? Like maybe the story should just be called hobbledehoy. Well, I mean, it's, we, got, we need a personal touch. So it's going to be the hobbledy boy. <laughs> <laughs> Or like the hobbledy hoys of Eastwick. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Hobbledy Hal. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Don't do what hobbledy Hal does. The story of Henry the Fourth, part two. <laughs> um, okay, so we got to get to the end of this conversation. Uh, Daniel, what are you working on right now that you can tell us about? Well, so, you did tell us about actually. Yeah, is uh, so it's actually a comedy adventure. Yeah, it's a comedy adventure set in the 11th century Silk Road. It's about this like portly huckster, this merchant who goes from village to village swindling people. And this young monk uh, who's a little boy, it's from his perspective, who he meets. And the boy really feels like this this merchant is a liar and, you know, sort of a no good, uh, frivolous individual. And um, but unfortunately, they find out that all those villages he's been swindling have uh, gotten fed up with it. And so they each hired a different assassin to come and kill this merchant. And so it's a sort of a, like a road trip movie across the Silk Road where this young boy has to save this sort of uh, goofy merchant's life six times uh, in order to buy back his own freedom. Cause he, he sort of gets sold to the, to the merchant and so uh so he's buying back his own freedom by saving his life there's there's a viking berserker in there there is a whirling dervish assassin there is a mongolian gunner a chinese ablutionist uh it's sort of like a action movie if van damme would be a perfect uh <laughs> star van cujo no he wouldn't yeah, Van Cujo. Uh, no, it's it's sort of a it's a very much like a rollicking story, but set in a time when that I'm really interested in the Silk Road and um, and this young boy who's sort of been orphaned and doesn't really feel he has anyone in the world, um, and the person that he you know he has is someone that he doesn't really respect, and slowly he starts to realize maybe that. Um, well, maybe what some of the virtues that this individual does have, um, one of them being that his sort of the expansive nature of his love. Did you, just to be clear, did you use the uh, phrase portly huckster? I did. Yeah, I, I feel like uh, all the men in my family eventually become <laughs> portly hucksters. <laughs> okay, two, two quick things for you. No explanation here. We just need like a quick answer. 
what is your advice for young for young writers? Like if you had to give them one piece of advice and you could only do so in three words, what would they be? Only in three words? Ah, you're done. Uh, perfection and repetition. Well, now I want to ask a follow-up question, but we don't have time. It's just that's the rules of time. It doesn't last forever. And then the last question. We like to challenge our authors who come on to challenge another author to come on, to bear the slings and arrows of the of outrageous fortune and whatever else that quote is uh, of this podcast. So who would you challenge to come on with the window and have to endure what you just had to go through over the last hour or so? <laughs> uh, well, if you haven't had uh, Gary Schmidt, I think you could you could upgrade to that gentleman. The other is uh, Vesper Stamper is 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 another. I can't. I'm not doing a list. I'm picking one. I'm just like calling someone out. This is like a this is like a yeah. wrestling show. Now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> I'm gonna have to go with Gary. I'm gonna. You know, that would be great. Has he been on the show? He's never been on the show. That's someone we'd love to have on. He'd be wonderful. Yeah, Daniel. This has been so much fun. Thank you so much for coming on for um, stopping your wind stream wherever it is and uh, and and just joining us for an hour or so and. Uh, answering our questions and talking about your books. Uh, your your book is great. We appreciate that you wrote it. We're grateful for it. And we're grateful for your time. So so thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for owning a bookstore, first of all. Thank you for having this uh, awesome podcast. Thank you uh, in every way. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much to Daniel Nyeri for coming on. We had such a good time. We hope you enjoyed that conversation and hope you'll check out his book. Wasn't that awesome? So fun. On a scale from 11 to 11, where would you rank that one? 22. Whoa. 11 plus 11. I see. Yeah. You said 11 plus. On a scale of 11 plus 11, what would I say, right? Is that what you said? Uh, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. Yes. Thanks so much to Daniel for coming on. Uh, maybe one day we'll have him back on again for Q&A or something because he's a lot of fun. All right. That brings us, however, to Riddle Time. Riddle Time. Riddle Time. I don't know why our intros have gotten weird like that, the names of everything. We need to have some kid record something like a little oh, seg- a little segment for riddle time. That's a good idea. What would if you were a little kid? How would you say that? How would you say riddle time? Mom, 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 <laughs> mom, mama, mama, mama. Can I have a riddle? 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 Riddle please, riddle please, riddle please, riddle please. Can I have a riddle? Can I have a riddle? Can I have a riddle? No, 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 no. Riddle. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> Have you been to my house? That's I have. so familiar. <laughs> All the moms just got like PTSD. Sorry, moms. <laughs> Whoa. So yeah, we are here for riddle time. And last week it was my turn to share a riddle. And it was about Shirley. And she was going to be going to Disneyland in a couple days. And she was up late. Uh, it was about midnight. She was up late looking at the forecast. And she did not want the weather, the rain to ruin her trip. Mm-hmm. So the question is, Will it be sunny in 48 hours? Now, given everything you know, Graham, Mm -hmm. what do you think? And I don't mean everything in the world. I just mean like everything you know about this riddle. We don't need to hear about like, you know, the Persian Civil War in 7,000 BC. Yeah, I was just actually (laughs) looking at that chapter in my index that I carry around of all the things I know. I don't know if there's a Persian Civil War. Well, I do. It's right here. It's called the Persian Civil War 7,000. Oh, okay. AD? It's in the future? 7,000. Oh, okay. I know the answer to your riddle. I have heard this riddle before, and that is why I know the answer to it. Because at one time, I looked up quite a few riddles to give to my uh, child, Gerald. (laughs) Harold. Harold. Yes, Harold. 
Uh, and I remember this one. Uh, so it took me a minute, but I think I got it. What'd you get? So I know the weatherman says it's going to be clear. Yep. That doesn't really matter. Um, it's That's like a red herring to the riddle. Some good riddles have that. Um, it is not going to be sunny in 48 hours because 48 hours from when she's looking this information up, it's going to be dark because it's going to be midnight. So it's not going to be sunny. That's right. You Ooh, got it. Got you it. got it. Where do I win? Have a cracker. <laughs> I will. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, do I assume we got some right answers. Yeah, we got a lot of right answers. So everybody who gets the right answer gets entered into the drawing at the end of the season for a book bundle. But you could also answer this week's riddle and be entered. So if you send in a correct answer to a riddle 10 times this season, well, I guess nine, because the last episode we don't do a riddle, then you get entered nine times into this drawing for a book, for a book bundle. Book bundle, yep. We take all your right answers and we throw them into a big pot and we stir them up with a gigantic spoon and we reach into the scalding hot pot. I don't know why it's hot. I guess we pour hot water in. The thing is, we might want to not do the hot water this year because then it causes the ink to... To run. To run. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, yeah. Okay. So we pour boiling hot milk into this pot. <laughs> no. No, uh, no, no I, I get fine. it. No, I get it. You don't want the hot. So we pour regular uh, fridge milk into the pot, and then we pull out an answer. Or, or a name, sorry. And then we pull out a name. You know what? I'll explain the situation here to Graham when we're not recording, because it might take a little while. Graham, do you have this week's riddle? You better believe it. A boy. Is What's his name? His name's... Uh, Franklin. Franklin D. Smith. Franklin D. Smith. <laughs> Franklin D. Smith. Franklin D. Smith. Okay. Franklin D. Smith. Uh, this little boy loves to run. Okay. He's been running ever since he could walk. Okay. Which is a long time because he's nine. I forgot <laughs> to say that. He's nine. Okay. Nine-year-old boy. Okay. His school at the end of the year puts on a big race. And he's been looking forward to that all year because he knows he's going to place. He doesn't know if he's, he's going to place get, in the race. He's going to place in the race. The Smith is going to place. <laughs> in fact, that's what one of the big banners somebody was holding <laughs> said. And so, uh, De Smith, I can't remember his first name. Franklin, uh, Franklin De Smith. Uh, he's been looking forward to this race. He knows he's going to place. So w- whether that's fifth, um, he's just confident in his first, ability. He, yeah, he knows he's going to he's going to be good. So he's running, he's running, he's running. He gets near the end, mm-hmm. and he's. He's been at a good pace. Mm-hmm. He's he he's looking good. He's gonna place in the race because of his pace. He's gonna place in the race because of his pace. He sees second place. Okay. He's getting closer. He's getting near the finish line. He sees second place ahead of him. He's the second place is getting bigger, bigger. When, th- when things get bigger, you're usually getting closer. Right. So you're he's getting about the person, like the person who's in second yeah, place, the is, getting in second place is getting bigger. <laughs> so right near the finish line, he passes the person in second place and crosses the finish line. Yay! So that's everyone cheering. That exactly how it sounded. Yeah. I watched this on TV. So what place did Franklin DeSmith finish the race in? That is okay. the riddle. All right. Send okay. your answers into podcasts at goldberrybooks.com. Because we want to know. We want to know. We need we to know the know. answer. We want to yeah. know. And then at the end of the season, if you get the right answer, you will be entered into a drawing to win a book bundle. Which is a bundle of books. Right. That's why we call it a book bundle. That's why we do that. <laughs> okay. Well, that brings us to the end of this episode, which wow. we call the end because it's after everything else that comes yeah. before it. And we just want to say thank you to Daniel Nyeri for coming on as our guest 
this this episode. And of course, we also need to thank Bandersnatch Books and Goblabet. And what is that link again? I forget. It is bandersnatchbooks.com slash withywindle. And if you use the code withywindle, you get 10% off. What a deal. And of course, we also need to thank you for listening. Because if you weren't listening, then nobody would be listening. It would just be two guys in a studio. Why are you making it sad? Making No, it would be sad. It would still be fun. Oh, you're right. It would We'd be still fun. be eating snacks and hanging out. And, and it's a world we'll never know because we do have lots of listeners. That's true. And they're wonderful. That's true. Yeah. Thank you for listening. We really appreciate all the families out there who are listening and reading along and being a part of the Withy Windle uh, tribe. 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 The Withy Windle tribe. The Withy Windle Nation. Withy Windle Nation? <laughs> Ooh. We'll workshop it. Yeah, we'll workshop it. There's another thing you can send along <laughs> to podcast at goldberrybooks.com. And of course, thanks to you, Graham, for, for joining me on another Withy Windle ride. Down the Withy Windle current. That's right. Along the, 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 the lazy river of the Withy Windle current. Just wherever it takes us, we go. That's right. That's right. We, we, have, we just float along. Until next time, happy reading. Goodbye. Goodbye.